Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at this word. And Lord, you know what's going on with the people's lives. And we ask you to touch them. And we ask you to bless this study. Let your spirit guide and lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 9. In this chapter, we're going to be introduced to Saul and before he's king and be able to learn a little bit about him. The rest of this book is going to be all about Saul and how Saul really does represent mankind in their flesh. He starts out pretty good for God and keeps getting worse. <laughs> and uh, 2 Samuel is all about David. So, so right now we're in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Verse 1. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeor, Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. And the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Take now one of the servants with you, and arise, go seek the donkeys. And they passed through Mount Ephraim, and passed through the land of Shalassah, and they found them not. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and they, they were not there. And he passed through the land of Benjamin, and they found them not. And when they were come into the land of Zoph, Saul said to his servant, that was with him. Come and let us return, lest our father leave off, uh, leave carrying for the donkeys and take thought of us. All right, so we're going to look at the, look at this introduction to to uh, Saul, and it starts out that he that we find out that he was a Benjamite, and it gives us a long list of his ancestors, which I'm not going to read again, because as I was looking through them, I didn't find anything spectacular about any one of them. These were the only place I saw I found them mentioned. So they didn't even go back to somebody really strong. So I think what it's going to do is, is be uh, that list of his genealogy was there so that when Saul said, I'm the least of my family, he's saying, I don't have anybody famous even in my whole, whole family. You know, I'm just, I'm just a nobody when he, is what he says when he's picked. And, but he says that his father was a mighty man of power. And this kind of indicates to us power could be anywhere from wealth, ability, strength, or even a warrior, valiant. So we really even don't know what his father's uh, position was. Uh, it doesn't appear that they're very wealthy, as, you, as Saul as Saul's going to say. It doesn't appear that he's very strong. Uh, but there's something about him that the Bible lists him out as a mighty man of power. He might have had influence in, within his town, uh, most likely. Um, but we really don't know what that completely means there. But he had a son whose name was Saul, and Saul means desired. And I think this is a big play on words in both cases. He might have been desired by his mother, and we're going to find out that he is going to become the desire of Israel, that they're going to be looking for a king. And remember, that's what our study last week was all about. They got tired of Samuel's sons being sons of Belial, remember, the devils, <laughs> and said, you know, hey, we're tired of this. We want, we want a king. We want to be just like everybody else. And remember, we, we mentioned the fact that that was a reference back to uh, Deuteronomy when, Paul, when God said, when you, when you ask for a king, it wasn't if you ask for a king or anything, but when you ask for a king, 
this king is going to basically take the place of God. Take 10% of everything you own and take the best of everything you have. And basically he said that when you desire a king, the king is going to do, basically take God's place in, in their sight. And that's what Samuel, remember Samuel said, this is what a king's going to do. You know, he's going to take God's place. And they go, well, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. And we're going to be introduced here to Saul as we go through. So Saul is the, says he was a choice man, a goodly man, and that he was the best man in all of Israel, and that he was head and shoulders above everybody else. So he was a tall, good-looking man, apparently, from this description. Uh, very tall. He stood out in a crowd. Uh, as a king, he could, you could pick no, no better picture of a king than, than him, is what they're saying. You've got the guy who stands out in the crowd. He's taller than everybody else. Pretty good looking, you know, usually your descriptions of your princes, at least in the fairy tales, is that they're, they're the handsome, handsomest man in the kingdom and all. And this is what the description we're getting of Saul. Uh, later on, we'll get a picture of David, and David is, is, is considered a, a, a ruddy youth, you know, just a young, short guy. Not, nothing anybody would pick, and Saul's the one that people will go and say, hey, that's, that's the man, that, that's, good. that's who our leader should be. And uh, that's his description. And it says, The donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Take now a servant and go find the donkeys. <laughs> go look for them. Um, and we're going to find out that Saul was pretty persistent. When he was given a job, he went out. And we're going to find out he was looking for these donkeys for three days. Wandering around. Uh, he covered a lot of territory. We're going to see that he covered a lot of territory in three days. And I... And I find it kind of amazing. He, he was not searching by following a trail or anything. He was, he was just wandering around all the territory and um, not quite sure how we thought he was going to find these donkeys in the way that he was doing it. Um, and he says, you know, take one, take one of the servants and go, go find these things. And it says he passed through Mount Ephraim, uh, which is... They're a Benjamite. If you look, if you still have your maps, they're starting in Benjamin. They go all through the Ephraimite, uh, the Ephraim, which is just to the north of the, the tribe of Benjamin. And it doesn't tell us how far he went there, but he goes through the mountainous region. That's where, uh, as far as we know, when it tells us that he went through Shalashah, that's the mountainous regions on the north, on the west side of, uh, the, excuse me, the east side of Ephraim, over by the by the River Jordan. So they're going through those mountains looking for the donkeys. Then he goes through Shalim, which we don't know exactly where Shalim is at all. It's just another area. And then he ends up going all through Benjamin. So in three days, he covers the greatest part of Ephraim and Benjamin looking for these donkeys, which is why I say it's hard for me to picture how hard he was looking. He wandered a lot. Uh, and, you know, I can't even, I can't picture what this would be like trying to go find donkeys, and it doesn't tell us how many donkeys were lost. You know, was it a whole herd? Were they kidnapped? Did the Philistines take them? Did they just wander off and get lost? All, all we're told is that the donkeys got lost, and, and Saul went to go look for them and wandered quite a, quite a ways. Um, and if you figure, you know, an average person walked about in that day about 20 to 30 miles a day. In three days, he's walked about 100 miles looking for these donkeys. And that would cover a lot of territory. Not all of it, obviously. But he's covering a lot of territory looking for 
lost donkeys. And, uh, and it says he went through all these different places, and then it said when they came into the land of Zulf, and we don't know where that is, Saul said to his servant, uh, about time we return home, lest, our dad, lest my dad starts wondering about us rather than, rather than the donkeys. And you've got to think, for three days he's been gone, you know, the dad would get to a point where, okay, now, we're, now where's my son? Uh, I sent him out to go find these donkeys, and he's lost. And you got to picture, you know, in that day, trying to find something that was lost would not, you know, especially an animal, would not be the easiest thing in the world. It's not even easy in our day, and you can, you know, we have all kinds of ways to, to find people. But you know, these animals, you would have thought that he might have been trying to follow a trail of some sort. But that doesn't appear to be what he did. It's almost like he's just wondering, maybe God will show me where these donkeys are. If I, walk, if I wander around long enough, I'll find these donkeys. Uh, you know, I almost get a picture of he wasn't seriously looking for the donkeys. You know, but yet his answer was, you know, the father's going to care. You know, he's going to start worrying about us. And I don't understand. I don't, you know, I don't understand, you know, if you're trying to follow, find something, I think you'd be trying to follow the trail. These donkeys had to leave a trail somewhere, and yet he's not, by, the, by what it describes, really following a trail. He's not trying to, to go around. It just says he's wandering all over Ephraim and Benjamin looking for donkeys. And... Um, I think I can think of better ways to go find something. <laughs> Unless he's just asking people, you know, everywhere he goes, have you seen my dad's donkeys? <laughs> yeah, they went that way. <laughs> <laughs> they went that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would take him forever. <laughs> but you're right, I, I'd be looking for watering holes, uh, you know, green, green pasture somewhere nearby. And maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe he was going to every pasture that he, took, that he was used to taking, taking the sheep or the goats to. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, it doesn't really tell us, but it, it just seems to me he's kind of wandering. <laughs> wandering around, and he gets to a place where all of a sudden it's like, uh, we've been gone for a while. Dad's going to start worrying about us. And, uh, and then, it, then there's six. And he said unto him, Behold, now there is a city of, of the man of God, and he is an honorable man. All, the, all that he says comes surely to pass. Now let us go to there, and maybe he can show us our way that we should go. And then said Saul to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels, and there is not a present to, to bring the man of God. What have we? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have in my hand a fourth part of a shekel of silver, that I, that I will give to the man of God to tell us our way. Before in, in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spoke, Come and let us go to the seer, that he, for he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. Then said Saul to a servant, Well said, Come, let us go. And they went into the city where the man of God was. All right, so they've been wandering around for, we're going to find out, three days. And then they decide, well, it's time to go back home. And, and it appears that the servant said to him, you know, hey, we're, we're close to the city where the prophet is, is known to be. And so we have these guys, they're coming to the des desire to inquire of God. And it shows that Saul seems to be, or at least the servant, <laughs> The servant seems to be somebody who understands God, because it's the servant who says, let's go see the man of God. And 
Saul's answer was, you know, uh, well, what are we going to give him? This is one of the reasons I'm wondering if Saul's father was all that rich, because Saul went out without anything. He's only been gone three days, and he has nothing in it, with him at all. No money, no, nothing, nothing of value, because he's going, we're, you know, we're, we're going to go see the prophet. What are we going to give the prophet for his reward? And, you know, it's kind of like uh, you were to go and give something to, to him. Didn't have to be much, because we're going to find out a fourth part of a shekel of silver is not very much money. It works out to be somewhere between six cents and 16 cents. Probably a lot more than the probably a lot more than the shekel of uh, fourth part of a shekel. But I think it was more just the idea that they gave something. They gave something to the prophet uh, to say, you know, we, we're going to give you this reward. And we look at this. The Levites were to be getting the the tithes and offerings that went to the to the temple. Uh, and that was what they lived on. When you went to inquire of God, that person was working for God, and they said, you're to give them something. All right? Nobody expected the man of God to work for free. And, uh, and this is something that they're saying, you know, what have we got? He gave half a shekel? No, one, one fourth of a shekel, not even a half a shekel. So it wasn't even, they're not giving him very much in this case, but from what I've been able to understand, the shekel was pretty much equivalent to a day's wage as well. You know, we look at it as being practically nothing, but back in that, you know, for those of us who are old enough to remember back when we made practically nothing and we could live on it, you know, by t you know practically nothing compared to day standards anyway. And 44 cents. That's what I said. There's all kinds of different values that I, nobody really knows because this was 4,000 years ago, so it's, Nobody really knows what the value of it is. Uh, and that's what I played. You know, I got everywhere from uh, six pennies to 16 cents to, to about a tenth of an ounce of silver. Uh, so by today's standards, a tenth of an ounce of silver, you know, what puts us at uh, 40, you know, $4, $8. I mean, it wasn't, it's not a huge amount of money in, in you know, no matter how you, you slice it out. Uh, but, there, but it was a gift. And, you know, the prophet got a lot of little gifts and hopefully made a, <laughs> made a good income out of it. Made a whole dollar, it? Yeah, get, you know, get, a, get enough to buy the loaf of bread at the end of the day. Uh, so he says, okay, we've got this present. Let's go see, let's go see him. <laughs> and then they have this little parenthesis that, you know, in the, in the time before this was written that, that when you went to inquire of God, you, you gave them something and they called him a seer. And so when we see the word seer in the Bible, we kind of look at it in context because seers usually refer to false prophets. Okay? But there are times, as in the earlier part here, that a seer re refers to the prophet of, a prophet of God. So you really have to be taking this in context to say, are they looking for a prophet of God or are they going to a false prophet? In this case, they're, they're setting up this little parenthesis saying, at this time, they called him seer. So that when we read the rest of the book, when we read him being called the seer, we recognize that he's talking about the prophet. So these uh, writers at the time were actually used parentheses? Actually used, or knew what they were? Whether they were parentheses, it's the same thought, though. 
Okay, we're giving you the story. Now let me give you a little piece of stuff that's not related to the story to give you what we would call a parenthesis. Um, so yeah, it was the same. Not, they may not have used parentheses, but they went off the story and said, hey, we just gave you a piece of information here. And that's a literary technique. If you're talking about something that somebody may not understand, you explain it. Uh, Paul did that in, in, in Timothy when, you know, this, this last week we talked about how he gave this little parenthesis there, saying, giving us a little detail that wasn't, wasn't understood if you didn't have that little parenthesis in there. And whether they technically use parentheses or not, I don't know. But the idea is, okay, we're telling you a story now. You know, we, we reference something. Let me tell you what this reference is. We kind of do it when I'm, when I'm teaching and preaching. I'm going, okay, this is what they're meaning, except they're doing it within the, within the story. But this is a parenthetical <laughs> statement yeah. if you want to, you know, without, without using the word parentheses. And then it says, and Saul said to a servant, well said, come, let us go. And so they went to see the, to where this man of God was. Uh, and this is, remember we've talked about this, how Saul, uh, Samuel had a circuit about two or three chapters ago. We talked about how he had the circuit where he went to the tabernacle, then he ran through these triangles of, of towns, and then he would go home for a while, and then he'd come back and he'd do his, his circuit. So people kind of knew where he'd be at any given week. <laughs> and remember I told you that, was, that his circuit was kind of like the Old West circuit rider, uh, rider and judges or or even circuit riding pastors, they, they had a circuit and you know about the third Sunday of the month you knew you, you usually would be here and on the second Sunday you'd be here or the, you know they'd go by the quarter or what, depending on how big your circuit was. And that was what he was doing, he was riding this circuit. And so they kind of knew that this, obviously they know Samuel's routine. And they're going to know Samuel's supposed to be in this town, we're real close to the town that Samuel's supposed to be at. And they went to look for him. They're looking for Samuel at this point. They've stopped looking for the donkeys. What they're hoping for when they go see Samuel is, we're going to give him this gift, and, and God will tell him where the donkeys are, and we'll go get the donkeys, and we'll, we'll go home with the, with the donkeys. That's what, they're, that's what they're doing. And many people went to the priests, to the, seer, the prophets, and saying, you know, what should I do? Where should I go? In the hopes that they would give them direction, uh, especially if they were, had something lost. <laughs> and here he's got a however many donkeys are lost. Did they actually do like double duty? One was uh, maybe through prophecy and then other kind of secular scene or whatever? Sometimes it probably were bivocational things. Most of the time these guys you know, seem to be more or less bivocational. Some of them like Elijah and Elisha seem to be prophets only. Some of them talk about how they were shepherds and prophets. Uh, so yeah, I think there's a little bit of both in there, depending on what it is. Samuel is a judge, so he's judging Israel, holding court at all these different places he's going, and he's also a prophet. So he's, he's kind of doing double duty. He's, he's judging the people, ruling over the people, and, and huh? And, <laughs> and Saul's hoping he'll help him find donkeys. It's not so much that he's hoping that he would find him. They're hoping that because he's a prophet, that he would inquire of God and say, God, where's their donkeys, and be able to direct them, your donkeys are here. But yes, they, they were hoping, by going to the prophet, you were hoping that the prophet, and that's why they use the word seer. Seers usually would give you direction in your life and what you should do. So this is why they were 
almost a superstitious thing to it. Well, I can't find them. We'll go. We'll go see the prophet, and we'll give them the. We'll give the prophet the the gift, and he'll he'll inquire of God, and God will tell him where, whatever it is I'm looking for, or whatever I want to do is found, and that's their hope when they're going there, saying, "Hey, you know, hey Samuel, we've got a little gift for you. Can you inquire? Ask God where our donkeys are." That's their intent. Now they're not going to be told where the donkeys. Well, they are going to be told where the donkeys are, in, in the story. Verse eleven. And as they went up the hill to the city, they found young maidens going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered and said, He is. Behold, he is before you. Make haste now, he, he, for he came today to the city, for there is a sacrifice of the people today in the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you shall straightway find him. Before he go to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat until he come, because he doth bless the sacrifice, and afterwards they eat that that be bidden. Now therefore get you up, for, for about this time you shall find him. And they went up into the city, and when they were come into the city, behold, Samuel came out against them for to go to the high place. All right, so they're going up, and this is obvious going up. <laughs> uh, so we don't know what mountain they were headed up, what hill, because cities oftentimes were built on hills. Hills were easier to defend. They gave you a, a way to look out over the the terrain, you, you, one of the military practices is you want to control high ground because it's easier to fire weapons down and, and charge down than it is to move up the hill. So they're, they're, they're moving up to some hill, some, some city, and some hill. And as they're coming down, they meet this whole group of girls going down to fetch water. And you know, it's kind of an amazing thought on this. You know, they just randomly ask <laughs> the first people they see, you know, where, you know, where is the seer here? Is the prophet here? And they said yes. And, you know, it's wonderful that they asked people that lived in the town. Because <laughs> they were able to give them direction straight to where, they, where to find him. Uh, they could have just asked anybody that wouldn't have known, but these people, and we see God's hand in this. They asked the right people who give them good directions to go find him. And... You know, this is one of the things that we look at. When God is in the midst of something, we see his hand. And in our, in our early part of our country, and even in the 1600s and so, we often talked about the providential hand of God, that God was in control of everything that was going on. Now, he still is. We just don't talk about it any, as much anymore. It used to be part of the vocabulary. God is working. And the more we get away from God, the, the less we see God working. And I think if we're not looking for his hand, we don't see it. And here we see a great picture of God at hand. He's taking Saul right to Samuel. Okay. And we're going to find out. Samuel's been expecting him. God told him he's coming. And uh, so he says, you know, he's right up ahead of you. Go, go quickly because today he's getting ready to go to a feast. And uh, he says he's going to give the sacrifice, or he's going to bless the sacrifice. He's not a, pro he's not a priest, so he can't, he can't make the sacrifice. But he says he's going to go up there, and he's going to give the blessing on the sacrifice. And then they're going to have a, a feast. And apparently, when we find out that he's going to go to a room that holds about 30 people, so it's not a very large feast. And 
Because remember, we look here and it says, in verse 13, he says, he will bless the sacrifice and afterwards they eat that be bidden. Okay, those who have been invited will have this, will be part of the feast. So it's almost, we have this sacrifice and we're going to have a small party for whoever has been asked to come. And we're going to find out it's about 30 people is what they tell us. Which is, you know, depending on how big the town is, it's still a pretty significant number. Uh, huh? <laughs> well, for chloride, it'd be about a tenth of the population. If it's bigger than chloride, then it's less than that. And so we don't know. We don't know how many people were in this town because it doesn't tell us what town they're in. Now, the town is big enough that it has an altar for God, and they're going to make a sacrifice there. It is big enough that this is part of his normal circuit. So I, I would imagine that the town has somewhere between 1,000 to 3,000, 4,000 people in it. It's not, it can't be a totally insignificant town. You don't, you don't set up, you know, even, even if nothing else happened other than the fact that Samuel comes there once or twice a year, would draw people to the town. All right. Well, we want to be in the town that the prophet comes in several times a year. Uh, or once a year, or whatever, whatever his process was. So it would be a town that was not totally insignificant, but it's not a Jerusalem or Nineveh or one of these really big cities. And, um, and it says he's going to come and he's going to bless it. So hurry up, get up there. If you want to catch him before the dinner, <laughs> now is the time to get up there. Get, get a move on it is what they're telling him. And so this says, they went up into the city, and when they were coming to the city, behold, Samuel came out toward them to go up to the high place. Samuel comes out of whatever room he is to go further up the hill to, to where this feast is going to go on. And, you know, was it God's hand? Yes. <laughs> yeah. See, he's coming out at exactly the same time that Saul's going up the hill. No, against means just literally at the same time, so they, they almost bump, kind of bumped into each other idea. Okay, it wasn't coming out in a fight. Yes, in our mindset, the word means to come out, uh, you know, what are you coming up this hill for, you know? No, he came out at the same time of, at the, at the same, you know, almost to a, to a, a picture of them bumping into each other. Uh, and that's kind of what we picture on this. God's hand brings things together. And, you know, when God moves... People come together, circumstances come together in ways that are just miraculous and surprising, and that's what it's kind of the picture of. Now we're going to find out Samuel knew he was coming up. He didn't know exactly when he was going to be there, but he was told, you're, I'm going to show you today who you're going to anoint. And this is what we're looking at. Verse 15, now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, tomorrow about this time I will send you a man out of the land of Benjamin. And you shall anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, and that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because of their cry is coming to me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Behold, the man whom I spoke to you of, this same shall reign over my people. Okay, so here we have this picture. Saul comes out. He's already been looking. He's looking for the person that God said was coming. He was praying, talking to God, whatever it was, and God says, you know, by the way, this king that I told you about, he's going to show up tomorrow. You know, right about whatever time it was in the day. You know, so keep your eyes open. 
And this reminds me so much of if we need to be following God and keeping our eyes open. Black could be an experience, and God said that, you know, if you want to be serving God, look around and see what God's doing and join him. And this is kind of what Solomon, uh, Solomon, uh, Samuel was given. You know, hey, keep your eyes open tomorrow at whatever time this was. <laughs> They're getting ready to go to a feast, so I don't know whether it was getting close to evening or not, because that's usually the time they make their sacrifice was morning or evening. And it says, you know, hey, toward the evening or toward this time, look for this man. I'm going to show you the man who's going to be the king. And he walks out, and God says, this is him. <laughs> now, I would love for God to be able to just speak that clearly to me. Uh, you know, that's him. This is the man. He says, I will send you a man out of the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him. Now, an anointing literally means that they dumped a whole bunch of oil over the top of him. <clears throat> but the picture of anointing is somebody who is separated or consecrated unto God. All right? When you're anointed, even in our mindset, if we anoint somebody to do something, we're saying we're separating you into the service of God. Now, we don't usually pour a horn of oil over their head like they did in the Bible, but uh, you know, they, they would pour, you've got a picture of this, you know, five to ten gallons of olive oil over their head, just a little bit of oil. <laughs> I think it would be rather uncomfortable to have that much oil poured over your head. You know, we just use a little drop of oil on people in our day. Uh, huh? Nice skin, though. <laughs> yeah, it, it was good for them. Uh, but he's being anointed, he's separated into God. And the idea of an anointing is that God does the separation. He's the one that is separating somebody. And it's divine. God did it, and he will empower that person to serve him. All right, and that's what it means when you hear, see the word anointed. When we saw the priest being anointed, separated, consecrated by God to serve him. Okay, we see this with Samuel. We see this with Saul. We see this with David. All over the place when people are anointed, it's to be separated and God will empower them to serve. And we do this even in our day when we anoint or appoint leaders in the church. We're separating them for God, we see the call of God on them. We're consecrating them, saying, you're special. I want you, you know, you're, you're going to serve God, and God's going to give you the strength to serve him. Because without God's strength, you're, you're wasting your time trying to serve him. And so Saul is, is going to be anointed, and he's being anointed to be the captain, the ruler of the people of Israel. And God says specifically that he'll save them from the Philistines. Now, we're going to see that Saul, in his entire lifetime, does not defeat the Philistines. He pushes them back, but it doesn't see, he doesn't get that defeat over them. He's always fighting with them. But he is more victorious than non, not victorious. But he does lead the people out and, and get, takes them out from under subjection of them. So in one sense, yes, he does deliver them. He just, he's going to fight with them you know, all, all the rest of his life in various times. He, at times he has some peace with them. At times he doesn't. Uh, and it says... For I have looked on my people because of their cry. Their cry has come unto me. And then he, said, then he walks out and he says, this is the man. <laughs> you know, this is that man I told you of. And there, verse 18. Then Saul drew near Samuel in the gate and said, tell me, I pray you, where is the seer's house? Obviously, there's nothing special about Samuel in the way he's dressed because uh, he doesn't know that this is the person he's looking for. 
And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me unto the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. And as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, set your not your mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And Saul, and Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the, of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families in the tribes of Benjamin? Wherefore do you speak so to me? And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the chiefest place among them that were bidden, where there were about 30 people. And Samuel said unto the cook, Bring the portion that I gave you, of which I said to thee, set it by you. And the cook took up the shoulder and that which was upon it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Behold, that which is left, set it before you and eat. And until this time hath it been kept for you, since I have said, I have invited the people, so Saul did eat, and Samuel that with Samuel that day. Alright, so we get this picture. Saul is looking for Samuel, has no clue who Samuel is. I don't know what he's expecting when he saw Samuel. And I don't know, maybe he was expecting him to be in priestly garments or something, but it's whatever it is, Samuel does not appear to him the way he would expect the prophet to look. Uh, again, I don't know what he was expecting in the prophet. We don't have any clue. It doesn't tell us. And it doesn't tell us how Samuel dressed. But it definitely wasn't when he, because he goes up to Samuel and says, hey, can you tell me where the seer is? Well, by the way, you're talking to him. <laughs> you know, and this is, this is you know, very interesting. You know, it says, I am the seer. And the word says, go up before me in the King James, but in, in when it looked up, it says, follow me in my presence is more of what it was. Basically saying, come with me. We're going up to the top of the hill. Come with me. Uh, because it makes it look like here. Because you go up there and I'll follow wherever you're going. But it was more of stay in my presence in the Hebrew. So they're going up the, the hill. And it's, you know, and, it, and, it, and I kind of kind of think about this. You know, it says, I am, follow me for I will. And tomorrow, you know, come and eat with me today and tomorrow I'll tell you all that, all that you want to know. But then he turns around and tells him what he, what he immediately wants to know. Oh, those donkeys you've been looking for for three days are found. You know, they're no longer an issue. Don't worry about them. This tells me that something else is on Saul's heart at this point. You know, what it is, we don't know. Because Samuel says, I'm going to tell you tomorrow everything that's on your heart. Maybe I'm going to tell you everything that you ever dreamed of having happen, maybe, because he's going to be told he's going to be king. So it might be more of that. But by the way, your immediate concern, your donkeys are back home. Don't worry about them. And uh, here they went to get ready to pay him, and they're getting their answer. But I, I saw this, and your donkeys, which were lost three days ago. As soon as I saw three days ago, I was thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay. You have been lost. You have been dead to your father for three days, and now you're resurrected. You're going to be resurrected, and now, by the way, you're going to be king. I see a lot of symbology in that. Now, whether that's true or not, I see the symbology in that, in that statement. You've been dead for your, to your father for three days, and now you're going to go back and have some great, great uh, news that, and, and uh, life for him. And he says, and he says, Set not your mind on them, for they are found. 
And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all your family's house, your father's house, your family's house? You know, the desire of Israel. Now, the desire of Israel should have been God. But we talked about just the previous chapter, the desire of Israel right now is a king. Now, I don't know if Saul really understood what he was talking about when he said the desire, or the, the hopes of Israel are on you. Um, he seems to understand something because look at the way he answers. He goes, you know, I'm a Benjamite. You know, that's the least tribe of Israel. Now, do you all remember why Benjamin is really now the least tribe of Israel? Does anybody remember what happened? He's at the very end of the book of Judges. They, remember you had the Levite going up with his concubine and there was the the rape of his, of his concubine who got killed or the, and all of this. And then the people went out against Benjamin. Benjamin decided to fight and all but 300 of their men were, were killed. And there was no women left because they took all the women and they, and they said, we're not even going to give them our women for, for, for wives because the, that's how bad we are and how mad we are. They made all kinds of rash vows and then they decided, well, how are we going to let them have wives yeah, and they looked for the one tribe that didn't, you know, one family or tribe that hadn't sent people, and they sent them some wives, but not enough for all the men that were left, which weren't many men. Yeah, then they told them, they're having this party, go get yourself some women over there. Yeah, and they allowed them to kidnap daughters and said, well, don't go after them when they kidnap your, kidnap your daughters, because we owe them. Yeah, we told them we, we, you know, we got to let them have some wives, and we can't give them to them, so we're going to let them steal them without going, going after them. Okay, so when he says we're, we're the least of the tribes of, of Israel, it's because they were almost wiped out. Okay, Saul of Tarsus, later on to become Paul, is going to say, I'm a Benjamite from the least of the tribes. This, this idea that Benjamin is the least of the tribes goes on all through Scripture. All right, because they were almost wiped out. And it continued. Now, they don't always stay to be the smallest one, but they, that was in their history. We, we are the least. We were the least spiritual. We were the least, you know, honest. We were, and we were almost wiped out. And then he goes, you know, I'm from Benjamin, the smallest tribe of Israel, and my family is the least of those. Which takes us back to those, remember what I said about his short genealogy, that nobody in that list, I, I went in, looked up their names, and I couldn't find any other reference to those names in all of scripture. And I went into my little finder and said, give me these names. <laughs> couldn't find it. The only verse was there. So he's saying, I'm from the smallest tribe and, and my family's not even important. We don't even have anybody famous. Matter of fact, they have nobody named after them anywhere in scripture, which is very unusual that a name is not used again. So he says, you know, you're, you're talking about the desire of Israel. You're, you know, maybe he understood you're talking about the king. He goes, nobody desires me. Nobody desires my family. Uh, He's arguing with the prophet. <laughs> he went there to get advice from the prophet. And so he's now arguing with him. I think you've got the wrong man, basically. You know, uh, Samuel, are you sure you know what you're talking about? Uh, I'm not the desire of Israel. I'm not that important, is what he's telling him. And, uh, and he goes, why, do, why are you speaking these things to me? And you know, this would almost be the kind of picture you'd have of anybody who is somewhat humble, yeah. Oh, you're going to be the, the governor or the president or whatever. You know, in America, we kind of think anybody can, though, though most people will never be. 
you know, we, we tell our kids, you can, you can all be president of the United States. Well, very few people are ever going to be the United States, uh, president of the United States. And the likelihood of any one individual becoming president is, is very bad odds, uh, even in your entire lifetime. But he's saying, you know, so he's saying, you know, hey, you're going to, you're going to be the special person. You're going to be the one that everybody has been desiring. And um, verse 22, and Saul took, uh, Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the chief place, the best seat. He put him at the head of the table. And amongst the 30 people that would be, come to this, this party, and that's got to be nerve-wracking enough. You know, here he is. Picture this. These guys coming to this feast probably are in their best garments. Okay, we're going to eat with Samuel. You know, we have been specially invited to be part of this big feast that Samuel is giving. They're not coming in their travel garments. They're not coming in their, their, their poor clothing. They're coming in their Sunday go-to-church clothes, you know. Uh, they're, they're coming in dressed. Samuel has met Saul right off of a three-day walk looking for the donkey. So he wasn't dressed, he didn't even start out in, in his best clothes, most likely. He's been traveling for three days, probably mud-stained, weather-stained clothes, and he gets brought into this party and put at the head of the table. Now, you gotta think about this. Being put at the head of the table is nerve-wracking enough. And he's being put up there totally out of place. Yeah, they're really looking at, who is this person that Samuel is putting at the head of the table who didn't even come with good clothes on? This is going to be a very interesting place. And then, and there's about 30 people in this group, it tells us, then Samuel tells the cook, he says, I had you set a portion aside, bring it, to this, bring it out now. Now the portion he had set out aside, it was the shoulder of the offering. Now, that means up in the thicker part of the arm. It was the upper part of the leg of the, of the animal. It was the part that was presented to God and then eaten from the sacrifices, one of the parts that were eaten. And most likely it was a goat or a sheep, and he gave Saul the entire upper shoulder of the of the offering the best part and one of the biggest parts okay the rest of it's going to be cut up and and because they didn't get to eat very much of it no more than half of it depending on which sacrifice it was and the 30 people are not going to get the entire of the part that's going to be offered okay it would be given out to everybody that was in that town because they had to eat if, I'm going to think that this is a Thanksgiving offering because it doesn't appear to be at the tabernacle and the Thanksgiving offering was just, let's give thanks. And if you remember the Thanksgiving offering, they had to eat the Thanksgiving offering within 24 to 48 hours, depending on the reason for their Thanksgiving offering. And they only got to eat half of it. So when you gave your gift, you basically, you remember when we talked about the Thanksgiving offering, it was talked about by one pastor that I listened to. He called it a, uh, it was the big party offering you you got to keep half of it and you invited all your friends because if you offer, even if you offered a goat a half of a goat is a lot of a lot of meat or even a half of a lamb would be a lot of a uh, lot of meat 
So you had this big party. Say, come on, people, help me eat this sacrifice. And so we don't know what it was. Uh, if it was only a goat, it's a pretty good size. If it was a, if it was a steer, he got a really big portion of meat. Uh, but even, even on a smaller animal, it was a good size portion of meat. Uh, we take this back to when the brothers came and saw Joseph. And it says that he gave Benjamin, his brother, a portion three times the size of all of his brothers. As he set him up in, in age order. You know, really, really freaking them out. You know, we're in order of age. You know, probably couldn't tell you know, because once you get over over 20 or 30 or so, it's hard to tell. You know, who's older than somebody else because they're all big. <laughs> and Joseph set them all up, and then he gave Benjamin clothes and a, and a big portion of food. And we're seeing here this Benjamite is getting a huge portion of food. He's being lifted up, being set aside, and saying, "Okay." You know, here we go. You guys have been having your little feast. Now here we're gonna, <laughs> we're honoring this guy. He's at the head of the table. He gets a big meal, bigger meal than everybody else is getting, and you know, I can't, you've got to pick, put yourself in Saul's place. Okay, he said I'm the desire of Israel. Now he's put me at the head of the table. Now he's given me this huge, you know, chunk of meat, and whatever else was because it indicated there were other things on it as well, and. Uh, and it says, you know, go eat it. <laughs> you know, eat, eat this thing. And, and he goes, and he, and he really sets it up. And he says, for Samuel said, behold, that which is left, set it now. For unto this time hath you kept it since I said, I have invited the people. So Saul did eat the, this. So he's saying, I've been waiting for you. Basically, Saul, I've been waiting for you. I told the cook yesterday or, or this morning, set your portion aside. I knew you were coming and I've, you know, and I've have a special meal set aside for you. How would you like it? You walk in and go, I have a special meal. It's been ready for you. I've been waiting for you. You know, you're going to feel pretty special. And this is Saul having wandered around for three days looking for, looking for, looking for donkeys. He ends up talking to the, to the prophet and he ends up getting the best seat of the house and, and best big portion. And at this point, Saul has not told him what's going on. Or Samuel hasn't told Saul what's going on. He's told him, you're the, you're the chief desire of Israel. I'm going to put you at the head of the table, and I'm going to give you a big portion of the meat. But he hasn't really come out completely and told him what's going on yet. All Saul knows is this is a really strange day. Okay, I came here to ask the prophet a question, and he's invited me to a party. He put me at the head of the table, which is going to be freaky enough in and of itself. He's not dressed for the party, and he's being given a large portion, and you know everybody's watching him. What is going on? What is so special about this guy that's getting this much honor? Because you know that's what happens. Anytime somebody's put at the head of a table, it's like, okay, who is that? Now, normally we know who it is because they are famous enough that people know, but this is a guy that nobody knows anything about at this point. You know, it's a big guy. He's good-looking. He's tall, and he's put at the head of the table. That's not, you know, good-looking tall people just aren't the people you put at the head of the table just because. So we're looking at this, and they're going, who is this man? All right, verse 25. And when they were come down from the high place into the city, Samuel communed with Saul on top of the house. And they arose early, 
And it came to pass about the spring of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, Up, and I will send you away. And Saul arose, and they went, both of them, he and Samuel abroad. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid your servant pass on before us. And he passed on, But stand you here for a while, and I will show you the word of God. All right, so they get done with this party, whatever time that was, they got done with the party, and they're going, okay, uh, by the way, Saul, you're going to come and spend the night at my house. <laughs> okay. Now, you've got you've to understand that this is a huge deal. Samuel is the judge of Israel. He's the prophet. And he says, okay, Saul, you're, you're going to come stay at my house tonight. That would almost be like you wandering into Phoenix, uh, into the governmental, uh, the governor's... Uh, uh, property. And he says, okay, let's go to a party. He puts you at the head of the table. And then he says, oh, by the way, you're spending the night with me. You, know, you just kind of wandered into my territory, but you're going to get all this blessing. It is something you've got to understand. This is not something that Saul expected. He's not sure what's going to happen from all of this. And it says, they got up early. And I love the way it says it, you know, it came to pass at the spring <laughs> About the spring of the day when the sun comes up is what it's, it's very poetic language for the sun springing up. Okay, so they get up literally before the sun has risen in the morning. Okay, the sun hasn't even come up and Saul, Samuel's waking up Saul and says, get up. It's time for me to send you on your way. And they get ready to go. And as they're, as they're going down to the end of the street, the end of the city, Saul, uh, Samuel stops Saul and says, hey, just tell your servant to keep going. I have something to tell you. We're out of earshot of all the people in town. I want your servant out of earshot because I have something to tell you that God wants you to know. Yeah, and, you know we, and we leave that as our suspense mark because it's the end of the chapter. <laughs> but uh, we got them standing outside town saying, I've got something really, I've got to tell you what God has to tell you. Now, isn't that something we all want to know? What does God want us to do? To have somebody who really can tell us would be wonderful. And here, here's that time it says, I've got something to tell you, and it's from God. We've got, we've got something. You, you've got a message from God, and I've got to give it to you. And by the way, I don't want anybody else to hear it. I've been elevating you all this 24-hour period of time, but I have something that just for your ears. Just for your ears, Saul. All right. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you. Lord, we ask you to guide us, teach us to listen to your voice and to be ready to hear you and to seek you out in all things. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.